Welcome to episode 125, My Child Just Went Crazy One Day, What You Need to Know About Pans and Pandas, featuring Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, Certified School Psychologist and Licensed Professional Counselor. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn. Grow. Shine. Hello to our listeners today. My name is Beth Irias, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that is very close to my heart. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. She is a psychologist, pediatric mental health expert, and the founder and director of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health and Dr. Roseanne and Associates, and she is out of Connecticut. Um, Dr. Roseanne is here to talk with us today about PANS and PANDAS, and we'll talk about that acronym. Uh, But thank you so much for being here, Dr. Roseanne. Thank you for having me. I know we're going to really help a lot of families uh, who are impacted by PANS and PANDAS and help a lot of therapists who have these clients in front of them. So I am really grateful for this conversation. Me too. Uh, Dr. Roseanne, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you came to have this specialization? Yeah, so, you know, this is my 30th year of mental health. I'm super blessed to be doing something that that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Um, and I have had the privilege of helping thousands of families uh, really reduce mental health symptoms using only proven holistic therapies. And um, I, you know, treat using psychotherapy and very niche specific psychotherapies. We do a lot of um, ERP for OCD. We do somatic experiencing. We do EFT tapping. Um, And we really try to support people where they're at. And we also use uh, brain-based tools like biofeedback, um, neurofeedback, meditation, uh, PA. EMF. We use a lot of different tools and resources. And so how did I get involved in PANS and PANDAS? So um, in the mid to late 90s, uh, I had my first case while working in a school system as a school psychologist. I'm also a certified school psychologist. I've done, uh, did a psychoed neuropsych testing for almost 25 years, actually. Um, And then over time, the world of Pans pandas emerged, right? So I learned about pandas, um, which is officially stands for pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with strep, right? Um, and I learned about that actually in grad school in the early to mid 90s. So I already had people that were talking about it where I was in my doctoral program. And so when Pans and Pandas came out, I remember mom saying, oh yeah, he he had OCD from strep. And I remember thinking, well, I learned about that, right? Um, And you can have a sudden onset of ticks, you can have a sudden onset of OCD. And so then the world of Pans and Pandas, and Pans is basically any infection or toxin, right? So it stands for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. Um, They merged. So we started to see that pans and pandas, chronic Lyme disease, as well as other infections started to come together, okay? And we shifted, and and not to say that people don't have Lyme disease and it is what it is, but the world of pans and pandas, um, we started to see the overlap in the symptoms. And what I loved about the pans pandas community is the mothers in the pans pandas community really, really moved the dial in getting better recognition of what it was, helping to drive legislation to get treatments covered, and really just to get the word out there. In 2018, I was a board member of a group called Epidemic Answers. We co-wrote a book that's 100% proceeds go to the nonprofit called Brain Under Attack. And that is sort of like a Pans Pandas 101 and gives great information. It's, It's what everybody should have. There's a limited amount of books about Pans and Pandas, and there's books called Pans and Pandas in the Schools. You know, these are things that therapists should have that are great resources for them. So here I am. You bring so much 
experience to this with your um, initial exposure and experience with Lyme cases and now this transition into pans and pandas. So for our listeners, just to be fully transparent, I've known about PANS and PANDAS probably for about five or six years. I'd heard the acronym. And I mean, let's be honest, you think of PANDAS and you think of cute little um, black and white bears. Yeah. But because of the acronym, it kind of stays with you. And I had this passing knowledge. I don't work with young children. I tend to work more with adolescents and young adults. Uh, but I you know, was aware of this thing about rapid onset OCD. And then I had a client whose sibling had it. And I didn't treat the sibling myself, but I remember talking with the parents about what that experience was like. Fast forward, and one of my children was diagnosed in 2020, in early 2020. And just to kind of put it out there for our listeners, this was one of those things that I knew about, and I never doubted its existence. Um, I want to kind of start start there. Um, so Dr. Roseanne, for people who are listening to this and really have no idea what PANS and PANDAS is, why don't you start by giving us kind of the PANDAS 101 of what this diagnosis really means? Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And I am, we now know my Max, who's 16 years old, does have PANS. um, And it's from multiple infections. And he's doing okay. So, you know, at at a lot of different things. But you know, different ways that we've treated it and supported him and loved him and found a great therapist that we had to drive one hour on the highway to (laughs) Um, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, my whole team is PANS PANDAS trained. And just to understand what it looks like, um, there is a movie called um, My Child Isn't Crazy, and it's free on YouTube, and you can download that. Um, I want to just caution you that those are the most extreme cases of pans and pandas, and we're going to talk about the nuances. But I recently, my therapist said to me, you know, you, you, we need to go back and do another training with our whole team. And we've been literally niching down. Like I did a two hour training just on antibiotics with them. And there's so many nuances of it. And I actually showed a video of my Max having a rage episode in pans and they, they literally all started crying. And they were like, we heard you talk about it. You're so, (laughs) if anybody knows me, I'm like stress inoculated. Like I'm literally like the most grateful, happy, balanced person. I work at it and I take care of my nervous system. I do a lot of neurofeedback and biofeedback. And I just kind of forgot in some ways on how horrible those moments are. And so as a provider, we all are listening to our clients and it's hard to describe what happens when somebody is in the extreme version. So let's talk about PANS, let's talk about PANDAS, let's talk about autoimmune encephalopathy. Let's explain what each one is. And then there are three separate conditions, but the symptoms are generally the same. And so let's help you understand that distinction because you're not going to be able to help people unless you can identify it. So Pans, pandas is strep. Pans is any infection or toxin, including um, things like mold. And most people with pans have more than one infection. Um, I mentioned Lyme and tick-borne illness. That's truly probably the biggest categories are tick-borne illness, um, microplasma pneumonia, um, as well as Epstein-Barr tend to be like the top three. You can have anything from herpes 6 to COVID, uh, as I mentioned, molds, just a lot of different things can really cause uh, these these neuropsychiatric, neurocognitive symptoms we're going to dive into. And then autoimmune encephalopathy, which we're going to call AE, is not a sudden onset. So pans and pandas is a sudden onset or 
a deep acceleration or a dramatic worsening of symptoms of a pre-existing condition, okay? And autoimmune encephalopathy is a, is a waxing and waning, it's a slower onset. The symptoms in all three categories in terms of the behaviors are the same, except that autoimmune encephalopathy, AE, doesn't have to have like an overnight onset. I'm going to tell you, if you're doing an intake and somebody writes down the date that their kid became different, okay, so um, you need to know they have pans or pansas. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to tell you that a sudden onset of a problem, a mental health problem, we're going to go into what that means, is not normal. And you most likely have a medical source. I cannot say this enough. So when there is a sudden change in cognitive, social, physical functioning, behavioral functioning, we don't have a situational stressor, grief and loss, a traumatic event, uh, some type of major, major thing. You got you to gotta say there's something physical going on here right? And that is one of the most critical things I can say to any therapist. Because we, with our pants pandas people, there's going to be a sudden onset or a dramatic worsening of symptoms. Why do I want to make distinction about dramatic worsening of symptoms? Because I don't feel like people get that. So 54.2% of children in the United States, according to 2011 research, right, there's a new research study that's going to tell us more, have a physical or mental health problem. And that's everything from obesity to uh, asthma to uh, ADHD and depression. So we got a lot of kids with things going on, okay? And we're not even talking about the adults because I know this is called pediatric onset, but they now have changed the uh, qualifiers in this. Dr. Susan Sweeto, former National Institute of Mental Health, the big researcher in this area, she's the one who named this. Um, she, we now are saying, no, you don't have to have a pediatric onset. I know you're probably like, what do you mean, Roseanne? It's called PANS, and the first word is pediatric. So this can be an adult onset, and I'm happy to dive into some of the, the many, many, many adult onset cases that I've had. But kids have ADHD. They have autism. They have um, eczema. They have these things, and you can have a dramatic worsening of a pre-existing condition. And, and this is so important for you as a therapist to recognize this because you're already working with somebody, and things get really bad, and it doesn't make sense. And sometimes you think, oh, there must be a biochemical problem. Oh, their meds aren't working. Or, oh, this is bad parenting. Because let me tell you, people with pans and pandas, they always, the parents always get blamed. Um, and parents are never perfect people. But I'm telling you, this is not a parenting issue, right, Beth? We wish it was a parenting issue. <laughs> I can tell you from experience, we wish that it was a parenting issue. Yeah, we wish it was anything but what it was, right? So, so we need to know that part of it. That's really important. Before we go any further in this conversation, I want to share a story that made national news a number of years ago. It was called Local Parents Trying to Spread Word About Disorder That Changed Their Lives, originally published by the Chicago Parent in 2012. Wendy and Tom Nawara couldn't figure out why their nine-year-old son, Charlie, kept grunting, clearing his throat, and nodding his head in an odd, repetitive fashion. The Naperville couple first noticed it in August 2009, Yet the bizarre, persistent, and unexplainable behavior, called tics, continued throughout the rest of the year. The involuntary tics interrupted his regular activities, his schoolwork, and even his home life. Their doctors' indifferent and uneducated attitudes didn't pinpoint a cause, let alone diagnose a condition. So his mother, Wendy, began searching for answers for her son's worsening condition. She stumbled upon a possible explanation after watching an intriguing episode of the TV show, TV show Mystery Diagnosis. 
She insisted on a throat culture for Charlie, who was already withdrawing from school, from his fellow students, and from his past life as an easygoing kid who once blended in with friends like a toy in a toy box. The rapid screen throat culture test in the pediatrician's office was negative, but in an outside lab, it tested positive for strep A, the key trigger for pandas-like illnesses. Charlie, their fresh-faced boy whose brain was going haywire, was an asymptomatic carrier. The dots began connecting for Charlie's parents, who did more research on the controversial disorder that's now gained national attention. Earlier that year, more than a dozen high school students in Leroy, New York, displayed unusual yet similar tics, verbal outbursts, and odd behavior. Medical experts reasoned that pandas may have been behind it, though critics claim it's not. What happened to those families in Leroy is exactly what happens to every panda's family, except now it's happening on a national scale, Wendy Noara says. It's time for this to come out. Kids' immune systems are broken, and we need to figure out why. Another obstacle is that many pediatric pandas patients fall through the diagnostic cracks between psychiatry and immunology, and a growing number of advocates, including doctors, the medical community is wrongly dealing with pandas by having two doctors, an immunologist and a psychiatrist, treating the same disease. What if mental illnesses such as Tourette's syndrome or OCD could sometimes be halted in childhood just with antibiotics, she asked? Pediatricians would be able to rapidly screen these kids and actually know what protocols to follow. Charlie was treated with antibiotics, including a more invasive treatment considered the gold standard. It's called IVIG, intravenous immunoglobulin. The procedure involves infusions of donor plasma that prompt the immune system to go back into normalcy. I know there are numerous families close by who are suffering through the process of diagnosis and early treatment, she says. Perhaps if parents are armed with information, they can educate doctors and doctors will demand clinical studies. It's a little backwards, but it just might work. So just a reminder that this study or this article was out in 2012. And in the almost 10 years since then, uh, now there's actually a law that was named for Charlie called Charlie's Law, is a colloquial name, which uh, now in Illinois law requires coverage of pediatric autoimmune disorders. And that provides coverage for any treatments relating to pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with strep, so pandas, and pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome, which is PANS. So for our listeners, I kind of want to share our story just to kind of frame this situation. So um, our son, we went to urgent care in February of 2020. And coincidentally, at urgent care, the doctor did a strep test. And we were like, why did you do strep? He doesn't really have a sore throat, but it came back positive with strep A within about six weeks. It was like he was almost an automaton and someone else was controlling his brain. Like it was like he had been possessed. We knew something was wrong, but we couldn't put our fingers on it. So it was just this extraordinary change of behavior. And that was when like it really hit home of something is gravely, gravely wrong with my child. And I want to share the story for our listeners because it it really did appear essentially overnight. Like it was building. And so Dr. Roseanne, please jump in and now speak to this. And thank you for sharing your story because these are not easy stories to share. And for a lot of reasons, <laughs> like I hear you. And, and honestly, you know, my heart, you're just like, I feel it. I've been there and I've been there holding the hands of hundreds and hundreds of parents who are so frightened in that moment and they don't know what to do and and they don't know where to turn Beth they don't know where to turn because we don't have enough people so you know my story is that my you know my son got Lyme in 2006 December of 2006 and we didn't know it was Lyme because even though I was already super involved for almost a decade, about a decade at that point with Lyme disease, we still believe people really weren't getting Lyme in the winter that I live in Connecticut, right? And he became a different human being. He got a, he got a virus. We thought it was a virus. And we quickly change. And so, you know, let's talk about some of these symptoms. So my first symptom was food restricting. And so here I was, I had a toddler, he then turned two. And what did my pediatrician tell me? My pediatrician told me, so 
So one of the biggest obstacles to care is a lack of understanding from all providers, right? And, uh, and knowing what the symptoms are. But she told me this is what toddlers do. They stop eating. And I was like, um, I don't know what toddlers you have, but uh, my kid was eating things like calamari and um, like you name it, radishes and this. This is what we do. I'm first generation American. My kids didn't have any garbage food. They ate like Italian kids. They eat what's in front of them and they love it. <laughs> so he just stopped eating. I couldn't even get him to eat frosting, cookies, like anything you could think of. I was like literally chasing him around. And then it was a slow, it was like a slow slide. And you mentioned words like crazy. Mothers say things like demonic possession and a lot of other expletives. But you know, there th these are things that you're looking for. You're looking for food restricting, sudden onset food restricting, or gradual if it's autoimmune encephalopathy. What is food restricting? It means you just you stop eating, and we ha will have kids that are normal eaters and start. And it could be based on texture. It could just be like, you don't know what's going on, right? Um, and then OCD can start. And it could be what Beth talked about. It could be lining up, you know, toys. It could be eyelash pulling. My kid started eyelash pulling. Um, it can be rage, right? So that emotional, just, you know, just explosion over things that don't make any sense you can see depression you can see anxiety you can see adhd one of the common most common symptoms is frequent urination so it's one of the biggest missed symptoms so i like to talk about it the, all of a sudden these kids will go to the bathroom go to the bathroom go to the bathroom i remember my kindergarten teacher asking me if there was a problem and we we were calling it chronic lyme then because we didn't know any better right um and so you know school can change difficulty um getting along with others a lot of sensory issues so they can especially if kids had pre-existing kind of sensitivities to their environment you can get um, you know, difficulty with light, difficulty with sound, uh, all of a sudden kids could be bumping into people. Teenagers can stop wanting you to touch them. Okay, I know there's a developmental normal piece in that, but these are kids that like to be touched and all of a sudden, you know, you know, doing that. Sleep disturbance, right? Nightmares, um, all of a sudden a regression in um, your bla bladder or bowel, loss of handwriting you know loss of handwriting is a major neurological symptom so um my child when he had we'll talk about flares so a flare is we know they have a pans and pandas and then there tends to be something that triggers uh, a setback so um so we've had many flares in this 14 years um and now we know what to do about it and that's why people come to me but uh, another infection would set him back and he had a terrible flare at seven in 12 hours he started um, trying to kill us with knives um, and so you know and again I'm sharing this stuff and this is this is scary stuff but I want people to know um, what my story is not abnormal and so Roseanne I, I want to jump in there I want listeners to hear when you're working with families and they basically their kid is telling you that they went crazy. Yeah. There's something up here. And of course, maybe it's not pans and pandas, but part of no, Dr. Rosanna it should be my considered. Goal, right. Is like we need to know what this is. Well, a lot of providers either don't know about it or they don't believe in it. And so they kind of give it air quotes. And there's so much yeah. research now that talks about this diagnosis. And, you know, things like autism before were not believed. And so pans and pandas are going to be those same kind of diagnoses where we look back 10 years from now and go, oh my goodness, how did any of us doubt that this existed? But for parents who have experienced it, um, just to talk about that, that suicidal or homicidal or self-harm piece, it is absolutely bonkers. 
and the stress on families is unbelievable. Yeah. And and the suicidal, I mean, I'm really into educating people about OCD because sometimes the self-harm is not a desire to harm others or themselves in self-harm. It's OCD thoughts that they're going to do it. And there's a distinction in that. But but I want to, let's talk, I want to at least say one statement about why this is controversial. So how did the controversy start, right? There's, this is a medical problem. How, How are we even having a discussion that it might not exist. Because come to Beth in my house at the time or my hundreds and hundreds of clients. Because let me tell you, you're not going to even think twice about it if you spend time, right? And so it really boiled down to one incident. So Dr. Susan Sweeto, okay, MD, working for the National Institutes of Health, does research for NIH and discovers pandas. One physician writes one editorial piece, no research involved, saying that pandas is bogus, basically. From that point on, that person has created a controversy around it. We're not going to go into any other details. I just want you to be educated about it. And we have to go to research Okay, so let's talk about the diagnostic criteria. Go ahead. Well, and actually before, and let's talk about the diagnostic criteria. Um, and one of the things I, I wanted to add, let's wrap up just the symptom list because mm-hmm. there's so much here that you and I want to talk about. Um, and I'm realizing one of the things we haven't gotten to is a conversation about things like tics um, yes. or the regression in, in memory and learning, cognitive functioning. So if you can talk a little bit about those. So tics, so you don't, have to have ticks, but it is a common sign, and ticks can occur with strep or any other infectious or toxic trigger. You can have um, motor hyperactivity, abnormal movements. You can have the chlor, um, the the movements where your hands are stuck. Not everybody has to have this. You can have generalized anxiety, separation anxiety, really, really common. Um, when I say that my kid had separation anxiety, oh my God, had to be peeled off of me. You're going to have, you could have irritability, developmental regression, right? And you know, developmental regression, we always want to think about trauma. We want to think about situational stressors, can have concentration problems. I'm seeing a history and just, just so you know, that most of these kids, if they're getting to you, right, you're the last stop on the train. They've already gone to other providers. Um, Even a simple Lyme disease diagnosis, the research says it's five to seven physicians before they get a simple Lyme disease diagnosis. So most people are coming to me, see an average of 12 or more physicians, and sometimes it's decades, sometimes it's a short amount of time because parents are listening to their instincts, um, or they're lucky enough to meet a therapist. I've had a lot of people tell me a therapist said, this doesn't make any sense. I want you to go to somebody who's a pans, panda specialist and it opens the door, right? So we need to look at those symptoms, but they can be very unique. Um, they can be clustered. They can go up and down. They can wax and wane. Um, and know that you don't have to know when they, the tick bite happened. I didn't know when my tick bite happened with my kid. I just can only you can only connect the dots looking backwards and that's what we're often doing when we're doing an intake so um and I ask questions of my intake like do you feel like this was a sudden onset do you feel like there was a stop and start and you're wanting to look for things like um chronic constipation constipation, uh, uh, onset of learning or, or attention problems. And it may be in the genetic profile or not, but then there's this sort of fast onset of anything from OCD, psychiatric problems, psychosis. And I want everybody to be super, super 100% clear. There is no one test for Lyme, tick-borne illness, and pans and pandas. 
Yes, there are lab works that are helpful. They can be inflammation markers there. We can see that certain patterns, and this is where the value of an amazing PANS, PANDAS, Lyme physician is, is what you need. Because we know, for example, when you have Lyme, that you often have low zinc and iron. Okay, so you get somebody where it's not showing up in their blood, but they have these really low levels of zinc and iron. It's got to be ruled out. We've got to, maybe people treat it. So you have to have people that's based on clinical experience, and it's a clinical diagnosis. What is a clinical diagnosis? It means that there's no test. So we want, we want blood work, right? And you mentioned Beth strep, right? So there's actually more than one way to test for strep. And just like your son had asymptomatic strep, there wasn't a sore throat, he had, a, he had swelling, which is common with um, scarlet fever, right? Um, but you need blood work to make sure that strep doesn't just live in your throat, it actually can live in your organs. So that's why it's really important to go to people who are trained. And our job is once we hear the signs and symptoms, right, and they can be really intense, they can be waxing and waning, autoimmune encephalopathy, they can be a bunch of weird symptoms. Um, you also want to consider if people have had uh, paradoxal reactions to psychiatric medications. 2021 research just said that kids with PANS and PANDAS do not do well on psychiatric medications. They will most of the time have more severe adverse reactions than normal. So it's just one study, but I'm going to tell you that, that I've been doing this now for 20-something years, and I'm going to tell you that anecdotally, this is what I see that because we know it's not a biochemical problem, it's a physical problem. So they react very poorly because of the toxins in their body. So I'm telling you this information so you can listen and start being a detective and putting the puzzle pieces together because we are detectives every time somebody new comes to us. So let's talk about that piece. I think part of the misconception about PANS or PANDAS is really just where this illness comes from. So can you speak a little bit yeah. to that of like, so what is this? What does it have to do with strep yeah. or pneumonia? Like what in the world is this thing? Yeah. So it's PANS, PANDAS, and AE is the same source. It's a body's misdirected immune response. So an infectious or toxin trigger causes the body to start attacking itself. And once the body has this this thing in its body, what is a normal response? Inflammation. So the body starts trying to attack it. And instead, you have all this inflammation. And it's the inflammation in the brain, but also the body, because these things can affect anywhere, any organ, and the brain is an organ. So you may have other symptoms aside from this, especially with tick-borne illness, like joint pain and facial swelling or whatever it is. I mean, you know, different infections on top of it. So the body is that inflammation is putting literally pressure on different parts of the brain. And, you know, Part of what I do is I also do QEG brain maps, um, which is an evidence-based approach to look at what the functioning of the brain is. And so I have this privilege of being able to see the patterning. I'm measuring surface electrical activity of the brain, and I'm able to see the patterning of brain waves. And so since I've done thousands and thousands of brain, brain maps, and I guess I'm told they have the highest amount of people with infectious disease of any practitioner. And yes, I was going to do research, but then COVID happened. Um, we had it all mapped out, and I will do it because we need we need this information that you literally can see brain inflammation, Beth, in, in people's brains, which is also a trigger. But you don't have to have a brain map. I'm a nerd. I love my data. I'm all about the data. Talk to show me the numbers. I love all that stuff. I do a lot of measurement. Um, I use all types of measurement in many different ways to measure and track the 
progress of my clients. Um, even in therapy, I require my therapists to have treatment goals that the clients are reporting on. We use Likert scales, very important, um, not only to for the therapist to understand, but the client to be able to see their progress because we often think there are no progress. But this inflammation, why does it happen? So it's the misdirected immune response. We have a dramatic, dramatic increase in genetic mutations in the U.S. population. It is estimated that one mutation called MTHFR is in 70% of the U.S. population. Why is this important for you to know? It is associated very highly with mental health problems, including ADHD, um, depression, anxiety, autism. I've never met a bipolar or schizophrenic individual who doesn't have this mutation. So this mutation, you lack an, an enzyme to process the B vitamins. The two most impactful are B12 um, and folate. B6 is pretty important, and then sleep gets impaired, but you can't de properly detox, okay? And we hear about detox, um, and it's a, it's, your body needs to detoxify toxins. We are just inundated with toxins, and infectious disease and their waste products are toxins, Okay, so even if we're killing the bacteria, you have to excrete the toxins from just the simple waste products, right? The bacteria, where do they go? If they don't come out of your system, they go back into the brain. They go back into the organs. And so people with MTHFR and other mutations, that's just the most common one, it creates an inflammatory response. It feeds the inflammation. So there's a lot, this is a very multifaceted component and it is not just medical treatment. It is medical treatment with lifestyle changes with psychotherapy. That is the pyramid. That has to happen and they have to happen together. Now, as a therapist, our job is at least to help identify it, I would love more people to get trained and understand about this. And yes, I'm working on that in, in a different way. Um, but this is something we can help our people with. And as Beth and I talked about before this, this is not that rare. The research says it is one in 200 kids. Um, I think it's more than that. Um, and the research also says that 35% of children with autism have pans or pandas. So this is an increase. We're going to see more of this. We need more boots on the grounds. We need families that are going to provide psychoeducation, a safe space for somebody like Beth and I, whose kids were afraid have a demonic possession, right? Um, I don't even know how to say it. I'm not being, I'm not being, um, anybody who knows me knows I'm super, super passionate about what I do, but I also am very light and I don't mean to make light of this, but I think I can say after 14 years with having a kid with pans and helping so many people, there's no other word to explain it. Like it is scary, scary. And we need providers who will work with us, which is why I had to drive an hour to find somebody because I couldn't take them to people in my practice, right? I, I'm glad you bring up those elements. And I think for us as providers, it's to know what we're looking at and that all it takes is one person to say, have you ruled this thing out? Um, to revisit one of the symptoms that Dr. Roseanne talked about, she talked about ticks. So basically pandas can often present as, or pans can often present as rapid onset OCD plus cognitive or learning memory behavior changes um, and potentially sometimes motor ticks. I want to talk about what that means. So yeah. for your clients that um, when you're seeing a child or an adolescent or even an errant adult, where they start doing this weird blinking thing, or maybe they're clearing their throat a lot, those are ticks. 
And it's really easy to miss. So I want to just talk for a minute about what those ticks look like and that that's not a required presentation for pans and pandas. No. But again, it's, it's, if, if they're there, it may be easy for you clinically to miss it. And, and you know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Beth, because um, they are easy to miss. And ticks, most people with ticks, right, and especially with pans and pandas, they will shift. So they'll go from one tick to another. So by the time you think, is that a tick? It moved on to something else. And I don't ask my parents, do your kids have ticks? Because they're going to say no. So what I would do is ask things like, do you notice like little repetitive movements and or throat clearing or repeating of words? So sometimes that can be OCD and sometimes that can be ticks. And and we need to worry about that for if there's a memory component or that is, you know, a need for reassurance is the most frequently missed sign of OCD. And that's a whole other conversation. We need to have a whole other podcast on OCD because I'm super passionate about OCD. It's missed. It's misdiagnosed. We think of compulsions as as only behaviors, but really it's intrusive thoughts. They can't control their thoughts. And that's where it starts. And especially for younger kids or when it starts later, the nexus is not what you think it is, right? And so you'll see a need for reassurance, these questions, these kind of things, Um you know, a a need for control that might not be organization and lining things up. You know what I mean? So it can be behaviors like pulling out your eyelashes. You know how many times somebody comes to me and they're like, did you notice your daughter has no eyebrows? And they're like, I didn't even notice that. Because remember, they're around in these slow changes. But, you know, ticks don't have to be what we think it is. I've even seen teenagers where I've gone and observed in classes that they know they're having involuntary movements and they found a way to hide it. So instead of having a full-on tick, uh, you know, whether it's a repetitive motor movement or calling out, they would do things like act out in class to hide, hide their behaviors. Like, you know, sometimes these kids, they can't put words to it, you know, and and we're talking a lot about younger kids, but this truly can be an onset at any time. Um, And again, you'll hear me say this seven times, you can have a history of other things. We just have to look at, you know, why is there such a worsening? Absolutely. I think these symptoms are really easy for parents and for clinicians to miss. And I think that's one of the reasons that we need to raise awareness about what they even look like. So so for a clinician who's seeing a child or a young adult with these symptoms, what do they do? A first thing you have to do is educate the family you're working with. And you want to talk to them about what pans and pandas and AE is, what it looks like, what is it, what does it mean to have this thing? And you also want to educate them that this is a misunderstood disorder and it's hard to find great providers. And your next part is to help them find a pans pandas literate provider. You don't want to send them to somebody who's not literate because then they're going to be going to a dozen providers in this sort of whack-a-mole approach that we have. And so where do you go? So you can go to organizations, a national organization is aspire.care.org. They have screened providers. You can go to Epidemic Answers. They have screened providers. You can go to International Lyme Disease Association. You have to give, and I'm a member, I'm a rare member um, that I had the privilege to be admitted into membership. They mostly are physicians, Um, but I I, at that point, had 20 years of experience under my belt, and they let me in. And um, they have they have highly screened medical providers and mental health providers, but you have to give your name to protect the people on this list because there's a lot of controversy in Lyme disease as well. So you want to go and find people. The other place that people need to go is that functional physicians and naturopaths um, and chiropractors. These these are people that if they have the word functional are 
almost always infectious disease literate. They may not be a pans panda. So what I always say to every therapist and people call me from all over the world is find people in your state do a search in your state and connect with them. Send them an email, screen them, because now that your eyes are open to this, I'm going to tell you every single one of you is going to realize that at least one person on your caseload right now has pans and pandas, at least. So you need to educate the people and connect them to a provider. I'm glad you bring up that point of connecting them with a provider for clinicians who are listening, there are many large university programs that have specialized PANS and PANDAS departments, Yale, Stanford, UCLA, University of Arizona. There are programs all over the country that um, may not be running trials right now because as we record this, we're, we're still in the pandemic, but that are running trials on this and have done a lot of research about it. So if you Google PANS, PANDAS, treatment providers, use some of the resources that Dr. Rosanna's recommended. I, I know for many providers, I've talked with families too, feeling like they don't even know where to start. So you start by doing exactly what Dr. Roseanne did. All we can do is say, you know, <laughs> there's this thing and your child has these symptoms and I'm wondering if maybe this, this could be what's going on. We can diagnose a, a mental health issue due to a medical condition. So we can do that, right? Um, and so that is what we can help people with. Um, and, you know, many of my people do have lab work that substantiates an infectious disease source, but sometimes my people don't. In the 90s, a lot of my people, the testing absolutely wasn't there and they had to get, you know, things like spinal taps and things like that. So we, we have to connect them to a provider. That's the first part. And then the second part is you need to do your part. If you're willing to work with these families, we need boots on the ground to help parents and Educating yourself about pans and pandas is the first part of that because you need to understand flare cycles. There's a, there's a lot more to this that we can't unpack as we're kind of wrapping up. But the best advice that I can tell you is that when you're working with parents is to have loving limits. The same, we cannot punish these kids for our behaviors. And I know most of us aren't recommending punishing, but... Parents go to their wits end and they need to understand that this behavior isn't purposeful and that there is a lot more that is the parents are going to have to have greater patience um, and they're going to have to do a lot more intensity of positive parenting and repetition um, and, you know, it's just not going to be easy. And I think just validating their experience I cannot tell you, and assuring safety, my families know when they come to me, they are in a safe place, um, and that means a lot, and we are highly, highly trained. We are also very trained to understand the distinction between suicidal ideation and OCD thoughts about suicide and harm, and that has really made a whole shift in our whole practice because the majority of our people have suicidal, you know, thoughts related to OCD, and it's very different. They're not going to harm themselves. They have thoughts about it, and so we work on the compulsion and the intrusive thoughts. We work on that end of it. So it's a lot of training, a lot of psychoeducation, but the first part is connecting them to a medical provider. So tell me a little bit um, about kind of the common treatment course once a child has been diagnosed. And so I want to restate one thing that Dr. Roseanne said, which is, you know, there will be blood work that will likely be done, but even in the absence of a positive strep titer or other um, positives for other conditions, it doesn't mean that they're ruling out pans or pandas. And I want to specify that because that's one of the miss uh, kind of one of the missed points about diagnosis. But so once a medical provider who understands panda and pandas, pans and pandas has diagnosed it, what does treatment look like for these kids? And what is the course? So number one, I tell all my parents and have been saying this for 25 years, prepare them for a marathon and not a sprint. Okay. I cannot say how important that is because parents we are a culture where we think their pill is going to fix it and I'm glad your provider said this is one to three years 
I say this is years and we don't know what each person's bio individual response will be, but we know what lifestyle changes can bring on and improve healing. So that's the other part of this. But let's talk about treatment. So so blood work can involve looking at infection, toxins, if there's mold in the blood, inflammatory markers, and pans and pandas. The sort of gold standard is the Cunningham panel. You can Google that. I won't go into all the details. It does not mean if you don't show up on a Cunningham panel that you don't have pans and pandas. So thank you for saying that. But the next step is to look at what nutrients are being depleted. Because once you're you're in a chronic infection state, you're going to have nutrients and they're going to need to be replaced. So nutrient therapy is a required component that is direct supplementation of the missing nutrients that are being robbed because of a chronic hyper stress activation in the nervous system as your body is using all its resources to try to deal with this infection but but it's just being robbed because you're not sleeping you're not there's so many components of it you're going to have an inflammatory source treatment so that might be antimicrobials other medications like antivirals and then immune system components so immune system could be something called IVIG where somebody has low immunoglobulin levels they're getting um, they take about 15 to 20,000 donor uh, uh, immunoglobulin and they're giving it to support the body to its own immune system to deal with the infection. Not everybody gets it. It's an arduous thing. It's it's a complex component. And um, I also believe there's a lot of things you do before you get to IVIG. So there's plasmapheresis. There's just so many different types. But basically, you're dealing with the infection. You're dealing with the inflammation, you're dealing with the nutrient deficiencies, and then there is the psychological behavioral treatment, right? And that's a lot of parent support, a lot of that. And then there's this lifestyle component, and that is sleep. So 90% of the brain detoxification occurs at sleep, people. So we cannot detoxify these toxins if our kids are not sleeping and many pans and pandas kids are not sleeping. Um, There's also things like other treatments, tonsil and adenoid removal. We've done that. Um, Antifungals. I mean, just a lot, a lot of different changes, uh, you know, and then supplementation and lifestyle changes to port. Uh, support the detoxification process, which is a physiological three-part process that involves activation. And then the final part is excretion. So these kids are not excreting. So we we have to do all of these things, uh, lowering stress. I mean, the body cannot heal if you are in a stress-activated state. It's called psychoimmunology. There's a whole field on it. So um, and so these are really, really critical components. Um, this is really my work, Beth, is educating and walking people through this because we don't have people. We have people in each section. You know, we're, we're very much in America specialist care. And so I have had to please know that I've done 25 years of of work and training on infection um, and you don't dip your toe in the Lyme disease. You, you, you have to live in there and I'm always reading the journals and I'm not asking you to do that if you wanted to it call me. Um, <laughs> but um, you need to have a basic understanding. There's a lot of myths around these things but this is really that's what treatment looks like and yes Beth it's long term. So thank you for bringing up some of those different treatment options. One of the most common that many providers reach for, as you talked about, would be uh, antibiotics. The reason for that, and Dr. Roseanne talked about this, that dual component of the inflammation and the infection and that things like azithromycin target both. But so one of the things that um, Dr. Roseanne talked about was intravenous immunoglobulin. Um, That is one of the later stage treatments for what's called refractory pandas or pans. So it's when kids have tried all these other treatments, but they still have some kind of infection and there's still this issue. I I think one of the big takeaways 
that I'm hearing from her and I know from experience is like provide psychoeducation and also just normalize for these families just to call it bluntly. It is hell. It is 50 shades of hell. And it is devastating to watch your child feel like they're demonically possessed and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, So working on the OCD components, Dr. Roseanne, one of her specializations is also in neurofeedback, which is another treatment that's commonly used. Um, But so there are treatment options for parents. But if we don't, as providers, call it out and refer them to the right people, people, they won't ever get those treatments and have that light at the end of the tunnel because it is just so emotionally taxing and devastating. For providers listening, there are treatments out there. This is not one of those things that it's like, okay, well, your kid is sick and they're never going to get better. And Dr. Roseanne, can you talk a little bit more about what a flare is and what causes a flare? So a flare is when there is somebody is in, uh, has pans and pandas, AE, and they generally are doing better, but it could be at any stage in treatment. And there is a, a, again, a worsening, right? So we know they have pans and pandas. um, But often, when you look back, there can be something that can worsen the symptoms. So it tends to be any, any infection. I'm talking a simple cold. Uh, In my house in the old days, when a cold came in, oh my god, the panic that would come over me, Beth. I knew it was two to four weeks of hell, hell, hell. It was, again, the demonic possession would show up, right? And so we we have a a flare protocol. So it can be stress. It could be all of a sudden, it could be a time change, allergies. Um, It could be anything, peer problems. It could be anything. So, you know, we have a flare protocol in our house, and it means that we, in our toolkit, and this is what I work with my clients, anything that helped in the past. So is it PMF? Is it biofeedback? Is it meditation? So it's a it's a worsening of symptoms, which as a provider, if you don't understand pans and pandas, you could be like, what's going on? Like the parents can't be doing what I asked them to do. Uh, why is this OCD worse? You're not following the, you know, anti-accommodation plan or, or whatever it is. So you do other things. And um, just just to know that in terms of antimicrobial treatment, we have traditional antibiotics. And we also have antimicrobials that are herbals. And there's a lot of research at a university in New Haven with Dr. Um, Dr. Sapi, S-A-P-I, and to show that they're as effective if not more than doxycycline. So there are a lot of alternatives. Be supportive. You don't have to know them all, but your providers will help educate on them. But whatever works for your client, support them um, because they, they need as much TLC and support because the reason why this is so scary, and here you have two trained mental health professionals. Yes, my journey was very long ago in this. So know that finances are a barrier to people. Absolutely. Accessibility is a barrier to people. Insurance authorization is another insurance barrier. Insurance authorization, right? And, um, and that, but the number one barrier is not getting these kids and adults identified and getting them the help quickly. It is imperative, imperative. So one of the other things, so Dr. Roseanne knows one of my specializations is in utilization review and client advocacy, and I've had that specialization for over a decade and didn't know I'd need to use it for myself. But I do want providers to know there are now many states that actually require by law the acknowledgement and treatment of PANS and PANDAS, um, Illinois, um, Massachusetts. So there are states, and this is actually becoming part of state legislation. um, And I suspect it's going to just keep spreading across the country. And one of the things that I just want to ask of our listeners, and this is the first time I've ever asked this, if you're listening to this, please make a note to yourself to tell at least five of your colleagues about what PANS and PANDAS is. Most of these kids don't have 
have parents who are clinicians and we as mental health providers are the ones who are going to see these kids. So please tell your friends about this. Say, do you know what pandas is and keep your ears to the rails? Because I think there's so much suffering that's happening with these children and their families. And as Dr. Roseanne said, it starts with us in recognizing it and then connecting them with the right resources. So Um, important. So Dr. Roseanne, talk to me about resources. How do people learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So, um, you know, you basically could just Google Dr. Roseanne and I'll show up even in Africa. So I have lots of, you know, social media. I'm, I'm on you know, YouTube and TikTok. But um, I have a couple things coming up. I have a book that's coming out May 11th, and it's called It's Going to Be Okay. And it is the 30 years of my work in this one book. It's called It's Going to Be Okay because it's what I start out every conversation with. You can go to drrosanne.com. You can go to childrensmentalhealth.com. And I really, truly am on a mission to change the way we view and treat children's mental health. And um, and I'm just so grateful for everybody who are who is listening. And thank you, Beth, for saying if you tell five people, I mean, you're the ripple effect we are going to have is is unbelievable. It is why I do this. It's why I've you know been on over three hundred had over three hundred media appearances because I want people to know there are things we can do to support mental health. Um, and and parents need to get that message. Thank you so much, Dr. Roseanne. Um, You have brought so much clarity today. I hope for our listeners that you, again, connect your colleagues with this content, explain what PANDAS is, just that weird anecdotal thing you say to somebody on the phone or in the hallway when we're back in hallways again. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. This has been um, so helpful. And I would love to have you back again. Well, I'm honored to be here. And, you know, thank you for everybody for taking the time to listen. I know you're going to have a huge impact on the world. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.